kids' ministry. I saw y'all somebody. Uh, before we start this morning, I just want to say uh, I really appreciate our journey kids' ministry. I saw y'all sitting up here, uh, Crystal and Malcolm, and just that's been such a blessing to me and my family. I know to a lot of the people in this room. So I just want to say thank you to you guys for what you do with Journey Kids. It's such a blessing. My son loves it. He loves the Cheerios, everything about it. It's amazing. So thank you to you guys. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I like coffee. Uh, some of y'all like coffee. I like coffee. Uh, 2014, I went to this place called Starbucks for the first time, and I am convinced that cake pops are the gateway drug to coffee. Now, fast forward six years later, I would go to Starbucks, I'd get a cake pop, maybe a frappuccino, maybe a brownie, basically anything with sugar in it, that's what I would get at Starbucks. But I met this guy uh, at the gym, and uh, his name was Nate. And he was this big guy. He's a muscular guy, thin guy. He kind of reminded me of Tarzan, had the long hair, uh, all that. And he would come in typically to the gym every single week with two things. He'd have one of those Pellegrino waters, which are like $3 a bottle, like pricey water. And so he'd drink that. But then he'd also have this tiny little cup. And uh, every time I'd go into the gym, I'd always try to just strike up a conversation with him. I'd love to say it was for spiritual purposes, but more so, it was because I wanted to look like this guy. And uh, I get to talking to Nate, and he kind of tells me some about his routine and how he does like the ice bath. Some of y'all know that trend right now. Uh, he does all these different things, but one of the things that he does is he drinks espresso. And so I'm thinking, what is espresso? He, he carries around this tiny little cup, and it's got like two ounces of liquid in it. It's espresso. And so I go home. And the thing about me that maybe some of you know is when I get excited about something, I get really excited about it. And so I get this espresso bar. Randy actually made it for me. And uh, I got my espresso machine, my coffee bean grinder. I got my syrups, all that stuff. Every single day, I make my wife an espresso drink. Apparently this morning, my son took a drink of it on accident. And so that's why I don't leave her alone with him. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But I started getting into espresso. I have students that are into espresso, espresso machines. My sister, uh, she's coming today. She has an espresso machine. All these people that have been around me are now excited about espresso. And it kind of brings me to this reason why I tell you this this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. But I think sometimes in life, we influence people, we excite people, we get passionate about things that ultimately don't matter. And in my life, I've experienced that. I've been excited about things in my life that ultimately don't matter. They make no difference for Jesus. I think for some of us this morning, it might not be espresso. It might be UK basketball. It might be politics. It might be our home. It might be our car. Whatever it is, we can get excited and passionate about things that ultimately don't matter. And we live in a culture that is far from God. Some of you live in a home that a lot of the people in your home are far from God. Some of you work in environments where the people that you work with are far from God. And the option that we have is we can either complain about it or we can influence it. And I believe for us this morning, God is calling us not to complain about everything around us, but to actually influence it for good and influence it for Jesus. And so let's get started in Acts chapter 19. I want to kind of begin with the end in mind. And I want to read kind of the end of uh, Acts chapter 19 uh, and kind of go back and see how did Paul influence the culture around him. I'm going to read verse 20 through 22. It says, in this way, the, Lord, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. 
After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. I believe that if we want to influence the places that God has placed us, there are four things that we can do that I think would mimic what Paul does. But I'll tell you this, that everything that Paul does, it's not from out of thin air. It's because these are the same four things that Jesus typically does when he begins to make disciples and we begin to see this movement of disciple making in the first century. The first thing is this. If we want to influence the people around, around us, we got to focus on God's word. We got to be serious about the word of God. Uh, it says this in verse 8. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for about three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them become obstinate. They refuse to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Of Tyrannus. They went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. At the beginning of this text, in verses 1 through 7, there's these people that are called disciples, and they're disciples of John the Baptist. And Paul asked them this question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And the response is pretty amazing because they say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And I think the reason I want to share that with you is because this kind of represents the society and the place that Paul is going to do ministry, that there's a lot of people who they don't really know God. Randy talked about it last week with this place called Athens. It was a godless society. It was a place where a lot of people would come from all over, and they would do trading and different things like that. And so Paul would go to these places in order that the gospel would be able to get spread even further and even further. And so what Paul does is it says he places his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit and are baptized after he shares the good news of Jesus. And on and on in the book of Acts, we see different examples of cultures that are far from God. And I think when I read the Bible, and the more I study the Bible, the more I realize, hey, this is not so, different, so much different than the culture that I live in. That we read the New Testament, and sometimes we think, oh, these places are great. Oh, these places know God. No, they don't. It's very similar to where we're living in the 21st century as Christians who are following Jesus in this country and in this world. We're all surrounded with people who don't know Jesus. We're all surrounded with people who, if they were to die today, they would go and be eternally separated from God. And God is calling us to influence these people. And so he gets to this place called Ephesus, and the things that he does, he begins to preach to them. It tells us two things. One, some become obstinate, which means they refuse to believe, which is probably similar to some of the people that you work with, some of the people that we see in our community. There's people that we're going to share with that'll never receive it. It'll be in one ear and out the other. They won't want anything to do with the conversation that we're trying to have with them. It also says that some publicly malign the way. That just means they were critical. They were critical of Paul and his message so much so that when you keep reading in Acts chapter 19, it says that there was a riot in Ephesus because people are angry. They're angry at Paul. They're angry at his message. Because the gospel is offensive, which means we don't have to be, which means we can love our community, we can love people, because the message that we preach to people is offensive enough. And so Paul preaches this message, some are critical, which tells us this, that sometimes God will call us to do something that won't be favorable, that won't look, be looked at as, as great upon by the people we minister to. But what it goes on to tell us 
at the end of this text is it says that everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't say that everyone received it, but everyone heard it. And there's this theme, I believe, that we see in this book, the book of Acts, where basically people preach the gospel, and there's typically some sort of result from it. For example, in Acts chapter 2, it says they, were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does it say at the end of the book of Acts uh, chapter 2? It says the word of God spread. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. They preach the gospel to a crowd of people that are going to be critical of them. What does it say? It says they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men. They could tell that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't even know what to do with them. Acts chapter 6, uh, there's these guys called the apostles, and they want to preach the word of God to people, but the problem is they're having to wait on tables and do a lot of serving of people, which is a great thing. But they develop these men called deacons, which comes from this word diakonos, which just simply means servants. And so they develop these deacons so that they can focus their attention on preaching the word of God. Acts chapter 7, there's a guy named Stephen who preaches the word of God and he's stoned to death. Acts chapter 8, there's this guy named Philip. He has an encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch. He shares the scripture with him. And this guy becomes saved and gets baptized. Acts chapter 9, Paul preaches, the, this will be the last one. Paul preaches the gospel for the first time. What does it say? It says the word of God spread quickly, but there's a key word. It says the culture was at peace. You see, there's this theme throughout the book of Acts that the word of God is central to everything that is done. And there's also a result that, man, the word of God tends to spread. And we see it over and over and over again. So much so that Paul even writes this in various letters in 2 Timothy 4. He gives Timothy some instructions. He says, preach the word. Why? Because there's itching ears that, man, they only want to hear what they want to hear. And it sounds so familiar to our culture. And I believe that the way to influence our culture is not to hide the word of God, but to actually go forward with the word of God because our culture is hungry for truth. There's so much confusion and our culture needs the word of God. They need truth. And if I've learned anything about working with teenagers, We'll do different events and, and different things like that. And uh, we get a decent attendance, but we tend to get better attendance when we just focus on preaching God's word, teaching God's word, because teenagers want to hear it. And I don't think they're that far off from the rest of society. And so if we want to influence our culture, we got to take God's word seriously. Second thing, we got to believe that God can do miracles. It says this in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul as if there's any other type of miracle. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of Jesus was held in high honor. You see in verse 17 that the name of Jesus is held in high honor. Why? It's because people are taking their handkerchiefs and their aprons to Paul and they're just touching them on Paul because they believe that there's something special that God is doing. 
And they believe in the God who Paul preaches about, that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he's going to do. So much so that you see even these lost people in society believe there's something special about the name of Jesus. Could people say that about us? Could they say that about our church, our community, us as believers, that, man, they believe in Jesus. They're confident in Jesus. They're confident that Jesus is who he says he is. I think sometimes the reason that we don't influence the people around us is because we don't believe that God can do it. We don't believe that God can save people. We don't believe that God can heal people. We don't believe that he can restore people. And we find ourselves in this position of thinking, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really believe in him for the other things in my life. You know, I was thinking about an experience that I had a couple years ago. Uh, I heard about this movement, whatever you want to call it, that was taking place in Tennessee at this church. They were baptizing all these people. All these people were coming to know Jesus. People were traveling all over to, become, to be baptized. And so I took myself, Will Smiley, some of y'all know Will, and another friend of ours, and we went down to see what are these people doing. And we expected this amazing church service with this incredible band we expected this amazing preacher that would get up and deliver these incredible sermons, but that's not what was happening. We came in on a Tuesday night to this prayer gathering at this church, and what happened was there was a guy with a guitar singing some songs, songs that you know, there wasn't anything special about them. There was a guy that would get up, and he would tell people, hey, pray for these things, and then they'd give people a chance to just pray. And it seemed like at the end of every time that they would do this, somebody would come forward and say, hey, I want to know Jesus Christ. And what I noticed about this church was not, man, they have incredible music or they have incredible lights or they have an incredible preacher. The thing I noticed about this church was that they had people that were showing up every week believing that God could do more, believing that God could do miracles, believing that God could save people, believing that he could heal people, believing he could do more. And sometimes for myself, I can't speak for everybody, but it's easy for me to say, God, I trust you with my salvation. I believe that you can save me from my sins, but I don't trust you in the other areas of my life. It's like, God, I can trust you with my salvation, but I can't trust you with my finances. Or God, I can trust you with my salvation, but I can't trust you with my future. Or God, I can trust you with my salvation, but I can't trust you to heal all these illnesses and sicknesses that are going on in our church or whatever. And it kind of paints this picture that we believe that God can save us because we don't really see our sin as being that great. And can I just tell you this morning, the greatest miracle that God can do in your life is to save you from your sin. Everything else is secondary because our sin is so great that we need a savior. That's what our God can do. And if we want to influence our community, if we want to influence our families, we got to believe that God can do more. That's what happens in this text. The third thing, if we want to influence the people around us, we have to demonstrate genuine repentance. We have to be real about repentance. It says this in verse 18. It says, many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I think part of repentance is recognizing whatever sin that we deal with, whatever sin that we struggle with, it pales in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. It doesn't even compare. Paul says it in Philippians 3, he says, I count everything as loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. 
Could we say that this morning? Is that our mindset? Is that our attitude? Because they don't just say that they're repentant. They actually demonstrate it. If you look at the text, it, it kind of says they have these scrolls and they're worth about 50,000 drachmas. And I don't think that means a lot for most of us. But I want you to get this visual picture that when they take these scrolls and they burn them publicly, this would be similar to you taking $10 million worth of things and saying, hey, these things don't matter to me because Jesus means so much more and burning them publicly. That's what happens in the text. And so you, you don't just see people say they repent. You see that they're genuine about it. And every single time that we see something happen in this passage, we see the people of God do something. There's always a result. The first thing they do is they focus on God's word. What does it say? In verse 10, it says, the word of God spread quickly throughout the province of Asia. Everyone in Asia heard of the word of the Lord. The second thing, they believe for miracles. They believe that God can do it. What's the result? Verse 17, it says, the name of Jesus was held in high honor. This last thing, they demonstrate genuine repentance. What is the result? It says the word of God spread quickly and grew in power in verse 20. What's the point? The point is that if we constantly try to blend in with the world, we're never going to influence it. If we constantly try to look like the world around us, we're never going to influence it. Because in the first century, in Acts chapter 19, there was something so vastly different about the believers that people couldn't help but take notice. And sometimes what we do is we say we want to follow Jesus, but then our lives don't look any different than anybody else. For example, some of y'all have heard about this. There's a big election coming up this year. At least that's what the news tells us. And what will happen is if you're on the right side, they'll tell you if Joe Biden wins, your life's going to be miserable. And then if you're on the left side, they'll tell you if Trump wins, your life is going to be miserable. And people say that. But the reality is, is that Christians say that too. And the book of Hebrews tells us this world is not our home, but yet we focus so much on what happens in this world. <laughs> and we're not any different than anybody else around us, but we want to claim that we are. Or you think about other things, like the busyness that exists in our life. We say, yeah, Jesus means everything to me. Jesus is my life. But does our life actually look that different when it comes to being busy all the time, being gone all the time, not being at church on Sundays, getting caught up in travel ball? Our life sometimes doesn't actually look that different when it comes to the stuff that comes out of our mouth. The Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's useful for building other people up. And we say we follow Jesus, we preach the name of Jesus, we proclaim the name of Jesus, but then out of our mouth comes gossip, slander, profanity, and we just blend in with the world. And if we choose to blend in with the world, we're never going to influence it. We see in this text that people who are genuine about repentance, not only do they grow closer to Jesus, but they influence the world around them. Repentance, very quickly, is a change of mind, heart, and direction concerning sin. It's a change of mind because we know what God's word says, and we say, hey, I know what God's word says, therefore I'm going to live differently, I'm going to pursue different things. It's a change of heart because we know what our heart desires. Our heart desires fleshly things, but as Christians, we don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the Spirit. And it's a change of direction because what we do is we pursue sinful things, bad things, things that are outside of God's design. But when we repent, we pursue God in His design. And it's not about following a set of rules. It's about following God in His design. That's what repentance is. And so if we want to influence the culture, we have to be genuine about repentance. Here's the last thing. If we want to influence the culture around us, we have to be open 
to being used by God. Verse 21, it says this. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. I think Paul has this mindset that he's just open to being used by God. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. God, if you want me to go to Ephesus, I'll go to Ephesus. If you want me to go to Athens, I'll go to Athens. If you want me to go to Macedonia, I'll go to Macedonia. If you want me to be in a prison cell in Rome, I'll do that because what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's what Paul says. And he has this mindset that, man, whatever God wants me to do with my life, I'll do it. And his method is very consistent with his message. Because when you read the rest of the New Testament, you hear things. Like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he's uh, addressing some issues that the church at Corinth is dealing with. And he tells this church, he said, hey, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. What does that mean? It means our lives, they don't belong to us. Because when Jesus saved us from our sin, we gave our life to him. We gave not just our salvation to him, but we gave the entirety of our life over to him. And, say, and we say, God, do whatever you want. Or Galatians 2.20, where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore, for every person in this room, when we give our heart to Jesus, we're giving him all of us. We're giving him our salvation. We're giving him our finances. We're giving him our livelihood. And we're certainly giving him our influence. The people around us, all of it. It all belongs to Jesus. But sometimes what we do is we say, God, we're open to whatever you want in our life, but we're still trying to hold on. You see, for me, I recognized what God was calling me to do at an early age, and I hated it. Uh, I was 14 years old. I knew that God wanted me to be in ministry, and I hated it. And the reason I hated it was because I was shy. I was timid. I was scared. And I said, God, just do anything, but please don't put me on a stage. I don't want to speak to people. <laughs> but when I was 19 years old, uh, my wife and I were driving back from Tennessee, and we pulled over to Bojangles. I don't know why. We didn't eat there. We pulled over, and we just cried because we knew what God was telling us to do and what God was calling us to do was to be in ministry. And it has not been easy because sometimes what I do is I want, I want God's hand on my life, but I also want a hand on it. And so what happened was I was working at an insurance company. I'm thinking, God, I got to be here because this is what you've told me to do. I got to be working in ministry. I got to be in full-time ministry somewhere. I got to be preaching the gospel somewhere because I want to influence people, and I want to do what you've called me to do. And so I'm thinking, I got to get to X, Y, Z. I got to climb the ladder. I got to do all these things because, God, if I don't do this, I'm not going to get here. And can I just encourage you that if God calls you to do something, he will get you there. He will sustain you. He will provide the things that you need for that position or whatever it is in your life. And sometimes we say, God, we're open to whatever you want to do in our life unless it's that. You see, I was open to whatever God wanted to do in my life unless it was working in insurance. I believe that God wants to use every single person in this room for his purposes, for his glory. But the question is, will you be open to him using you? Because we're all influencing people towards something but hopefully it's something that actually matters. This morning, I think there's men in the room who God is calling you to lead your family and to influence your family. 
I believe that there's people in this room that God's calling you to own your workplace, that God is calling you to influence your workplace, that he has put you there for a reason, not to look ahead of something else, but to stay planted somewhere so that he can use you there. I believe that there's others who, who God just wants to use you for your grandkids, to influence your grandkids, whatever it is, would we just be people that are open to it? And before we influence anybody for Jesus, we got to be influenced by Jesus. And so if you're somebody here that you want to receive Jesus this morning, the Bible says it very simply. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified. One is made right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For all who call on Jesus will not be put to shame. I believe that this morning. So I'm going to pray. And I'll just invite you, if you want to come and respond to the gospel and to what God is doing in your life, would you just be willing to come? Let's pray. God, we're open to whatever you want to do in our church, in our community, in our lives, in our family. God, help us to be people that are focused on your word, to be people that are committed to your word, committed to your truth. God, help us to be people who believe for more, that we don't put limitations on you with small thinking, but we believe that you can do even greater things. God, help us to be people that don't pursue things of the flesh, but pursue the spirit, and we're genuine about repentance. And God, help us to be open this morning to whatever you want us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.